0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
1: And I'm ABC Senior Congressional Correspondent Mary Bruce.
0: And Mary, it looks like we're trying to put a bow on the year. (laughs) Uh, Shutdown showdown looks like it is being headed off, but a whole lot of other headlines that are crashing all at the same time as Congress looks to to leave town. Uh, We have news on the president's border wall. It looks like the president is essentially giving up on that. We'll have a lot to say On that, Um, some news out of the Mueller investigation, some news on Syria, and we're going to be joined by a 2020 uh, potential presidential candidate uh, in in our second half of the show. But Mary, let's start with the state of play on Capitol Hill here on this Wednesday, funding for the federal government runs out, as you know, on Friday. Where do things stands and, stand and, and, and how are those uh, those jet fumes smelling right now? <laughs>
1: can you smell them already? I, I'm starting to get a whiff of them up here. This is the mad dash to the finish, and it does seem uh, that now the Hill has a short-term solution to kick this can just a few more weeks down the road. We've heard from Leader Mitch McConnell uh, just a short while ago announcing that they are going to vote on a short-term fix later Uh, Today, that means that they would uh, punt this uh, fight essentially into early February, buys them time until February 8th. Uh And this is because lawmakers up here are eager to get out of here; They want this fight to be over with, and they have made very clear that the President is not going to get what he wants here. He simply does not have enough Republican support to get that five billion dollars that he wants to build his wall. You'll remember the president uh proudly declared that he was willing to shut down the government uh, in order to get this funding, and now we've seen uh he has wavered on that the White House has uh, been doing some interesting math on their own, saying that they think they have another way to come up uh, with, with some of that funding, uh, ways that they think they can make up the difference between what the Democrats are offering and what the president is demanding. But ultimately, the president came out. He you know, decided he was willing to, to shut down the government over this. And it seems he's not going to really have that option. Um, but right now, while the Hill is saying they have a solution to this, Right now, at this hour, it's not clear whether or not the president is on board. But it's not really clear what his other options are.
0: But it would appear that the headline is that the wall is dead, or at least the wall as as imagined originally by the president. And the president is not going to admit that. Obviously, he's no. going to he's going to say he'll find other ways to fund it. But the idea of Congress funding the wall is is out the window. But of course, as we all know, that wasn't the original plan. We just th- this is just one of many examples uh, from. Uh, from um, the campaign trail in 2016 and beyond. The president still does this at his rallies uh, where the crowd knows the answers to the big question. Take a listen.
2: Oh, we're going to build a wall, all right. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico. They'll pay.
0: So, Mary, you can't hear an asterisk uh, if (laughs) if one is appended to a chant, Uh, but the president is uh, is tweeting that the the ball, the, the wall will be paid for by Mexico in parentheses indirectly, indirectly. And he is saying it's all because of that new trade agreement with Mexico and the United States. Of course, that wasn't the original promise. And uh, that wasn't his goal here. He was trying to get funding. He's not getting it. And with Democrats coming back uh, in a couple weeks as the majority party, in the House, there's not going to be any incentive for them to suddenly act on funding a wall.
1: No, and, and when you look at the big picture, look, Democrats aren't budging now, and they certainly are not going to be budging in a couple of weeks when they are in control of the House. Um, there's very little, zero interest, you would say, I could say, from from Democrats to give in, and, and and also not a lot of interest from Republicans. Look, Republican lawmakers here are not coming to the president's defense. No one up here is saying, look, we have to give the president the money for this wall. There's just no appetite here on either side of the aisle to help the president fulfill this this campaign promise, um, at least not right now. And Especially when the president promised Mexico was going to pay for it, and you're then asking taxpayers to step up and pay for it. And I've talked with lots of lawmakers over the last few days as this fight has played out, and they all admit, "Look, Mexico is not going to pay for this," and, and they agree that that yes, as they have this discussion, you're playing here with taxpayer money, and, uh, not with Mexico for money, or yeah, and I, money. I
0: thought I thought our colleague Terry Moran um, played this out with the White House press secretary Sarah Sanders um, earlier in the week. It Pretty effectively, um, talking about how the money that the United States may derive um, as an economy from a new trade agreement, that's not quite the same as money that would build a wall.
1: The, the, the
3: trade benefits, if there are any, don't, don't go to the Treasury.
0: He's saying that the revenue provided and the money that would be saved through the USMCA deal, we could pay for the wall. Four times over, and by doing that new trade deal, we have the opportunity to pay for the wall. Trade
2: benefits go to private citizens, they don't go to the United States
0: Treasury. He's talking about the general revenue that comes from that. So you're going to tax. No, we're not taxing. We're talking about additional revenue that wouldn't have existed without the president getting a new deal. Have you done the math on that? The, 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 there, are, there have been a number of things that we've looked at in which we know we'll have additional revenue that comes in through the USMCA. From the USMCA we think into we'll the have, Treasury? We think there will be
1: more than that that comes in.
0: Well, as you point out, Mary, a lot of members of Congress have done the math on that. They're not buying it.
1: Yeah, it's that's some tricky number crunching there. Um lawmakers that I've talked to on both sides of the aisle uh, don't think that that's exactly how that's going to work out. Um, And also, when you look at the bigger picture, the White House is saying they can either try and pull funding right from from this new renegotiated NAFTA, which, by the way, isn't necessarily a done deal either, um, and or the other option that the White House is floating is to try and reallocate funds right to pull money from other agencies and redirect it so that the president can use that to, to build his wall well that's not really how it works either um, that's money that is allocated by Congress uh, they take pretty seriously up here that the Congress has the power of the purse um, when the White House first floated that idea earlier this week uh, I had one top Republican uh, leader tell me hey you know we may have to get the lawyers to take a look at that one because that's just simply not how how this is supposed to work even though so the White House thinks that they may be able to pull, you know, some money from here, gather up some dollars over there, and somehow collect this pot that the president can use to build a wall. Uh, when the reality is, there just is not the political will or capital to do that.
0: That's right, and that's the harsh lesson as this year closes out. That if there isn't a shutdown, there also isn't a wall. Uh, the president, I think, also in in, in looking to clean clear off a lot of loose ends, tie them up at the end of the year, is announcing um today a new policy regarding Syria taking all of the US troops he he is saying out of Syria, declaring uh the the mission accomplished essentially uh in in, in defeating ISIS in Syria. Uh, Quite a bit of blowback early on from some of the president's closest allies on this. I was really struck by Lindsey Graham. Yeah, uh, this is
1: not going over well here on the Hill, uh, especially even among some of the president's top allies. You have Lindsey Graham, who's these days one of the president's fiercest defenders here on Capitol Hill, putting out a statement that is quite a slap. Uh, to the president. He says, uh, and I quote, that this will be an Obama like mistake Ooh. made by the Trump administration. Ooh. That's got to burn the president. And that's also probably got to get under his skin a little bit while the president is declaring that that they uh, the uh, victory, essentially saying that they have defeated ISIS. Uh, Republicans up here are saying not so fast. That is simply not the case. And by the way, it's not just lawmakers. Uh, the DOD is saying the same thing.
0: Obama-like is about as biting Ouch. a comment that Lindsey Graham can offer. I'm I'm, a, I'm an ardent. Graham Watcher, as you are as well, Mary, and, and Graham has emerged as one of the president's fiercest defenders in so many areas. But I do think there's a point to it, is that he thinks that's the way to get through to the president when you need to. And he is signaling on Syria that he needs to, that he needs mm-hmm. to to step up and step in because he thinks this is a cataclysmic mistake. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because the president has a lot of authority. Congress has given up so much of its war um, war declaration authority and and given over to the president so much power to, um, to direct troop movements like this, uh, that that if many people in his own party and the Democrats as well think this is a, a bad mistake that's going to put us back in the war on terrorism, um, even his own defense department is trying to signal that, wait a second, we're not actually saying that anything is actually done here, despite what the president's saying. He has wanted out of Syria for a long time, though, Mary. This this I remember early in the year, he just kind of let it loose at a, at a campaign rally to say that uh, that, that we're going to get him out really soon, and everyone had to backpedal around yeah, that. Yeah,
1: th- this is one of those uh, other Trump promises that now he's trying to, to fulfill. It seems that we're in a rush to do that up here this week. But what's interesting is not only, you know, did this surprise everybody up here on the Hill, it seems to have caught the president's own administration off guard. Uh, it seems a lot in the defense community didn't know this was coming. A lot of uh, our allies may have been caught off guard by this as well. This is another one where the president, I think, is uh, shocking a lot of people and raising a lot of eyebrows. Everyone appears still scrambling actually to unpack what this really means. What is what are they really doing here? What, what is the actual intent?
0: And another story that's going to linger well past the holidays now, um, Michael Flynn. Now, I I, don't ever recall a uh, court hearing that was expected to be as pro forma as the one this week. We expected to get a sentence for the former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn. Was pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. Uh, it, it, this is an offshoot of the Mueller probe. It was a. It seemed like he he was admitting his guilt. Uh, there were a lot of conspiracy theories out there about him being entrapped. He was pressed on all of that in court, and to hear a federal judge call him out, say directly, "You have betrayed this country," that went off the rails really fast. And now all of it is delayed until March. Big question marks about what the cooperation continues to mean, and now. The, the, the certainty that the Mueller probe will continue well into 2019, Mary.
1: Yeah, that's the big lesson here, right, is that the Mueller probe clearly is far from over, especially if you're not going to see Flynn uh, facing a sentencing a- until March. What struck me as watching all of this unfold was uh, if you looked at the, the the expression on Flynn's face as he walked into the court versus the expression when he walked out, <laughs> he came in thinking, you know, that he was going to avoid any prison time. This was going to be a lenient sentencing he'd been expecting or been given, you know, a favorable uh, recommendation because of his cooperation with the special counsel, the judge did not buy any of it. I mean, it, he really took him to task. And then you had this dramatic uh, you know, turn of events where where Flynn decided, hey, you know, I'm going to take you up on that offer uh, to, to maybe wait and see how this plays out before I go through his sentencing after it was clear that the judge may not be as lenient as everyone was initially expecting. But you're right. The big headline here is that this fight is going to go on and on. And probably
0: it, on it really sounded like Michael Lynn's going to go to prison. I mean, that that yeah. I think that that drove his reassessment, and maybe maybe the Mueller team intervenes again because he's been cooperating. We don't know what he's cooperating on about with all of these sessions that he's had with the 19 Mueller team.
1: Interviews.
0: Wow. Yeah. All, a lot we, there. We, that's information that we don't know yet as to where that has led things. Um, and to me, Mary, it was just it was just a reminder of how serious. Um, a, a set of facts, um, and they are facts. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're experiencing right now. We get numb to these headlines. We all do, Mary, because it's every day seems like there's another set of it. Every week is wow, this has never happened before. But to have a federal judge just come out and say that, and say you were doing this inside the White House, you were knowingly lying to federal agents, you had previously worked as a registered uh, agent of a foreign government. And the judge actually got some of the facts wrong in in reading the Riot Act out to to Michael Flynn. But the fact remains, and it is these are facts. Act, that this was a national security advisor that has pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. This is separate from the campaign, ma- the, the the campaign staffers, including the campaign manager for Donald Trump, who's con- been convicted. Uh, this is separate from the lower level operatives. This is even separate from the entire investigation around the Trump Foundation, which another uh, another court proceeding found to be inc- incredibly fraudulent. It's just all of these headlines that crashed that crashed day by day. It's just sometimes you need a reminder about yeah, and <laughs> it, it really
1: it really was like a a little bit of a wake-up call i think for for uh everyone who's following all of this so closely as so many of us are so many across the country are you know when to to hear a judge say that that uh flynn essentially as he put it may have sold his country out um i think there's a a tendency for this to feel like a drip 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 and you you know to sort of pause and and take a step back and say no you know these are big important issues and serious crimes it, it, yeah, it, it kind of got us all back on our toes sometimes, real quick. <laughs> S-
0: sometimes the drips take you very much into a flood and it's, yeah. all, it's all there at once. I do want to make note of a, an unlikely legislative triumph. This week, Uh, criminal justice reform, Mary, this is something President Obama really wanted to do. Uh, The Koch brothers were working with elements in the Obama administration to get this done. It's got a whole set of bipartisan and unlikely allies that were behind it, Uh, including Jared Kushner, who deserves a whole lot of credit for elevating this as an issue, bringing the coalitions together. And the fact that we're talking about major sentencing reform, major reform around federal, uh, federal guidelines around criminal justice... This is a big deal. It had a lot of powerful enemies, including at one point Mitch McConnell. But the fact that Congress is going to get this done, um, you know, won't get as many headlines. But it is an intriguing twist on uh, the storylines of paralysis in Congress. That uh, there, there, there was an, an attempt, and apparently a successful attempt, to get this done.
1: Yeah, this is a big deal, and it is a rare bipartisan victory for the president. You have many Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, you know, who, many of whom had feared looking like they were being soft on crime, now coming around to this. I mean, this is a huge sweeping overhaul to the criminal justice system. It uh, dramatically reduces mandatory sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. It beefs up programs that intend to help uh, keep former inmates from ending up back in prison to lower those recidivism rates. And it was ultimately endorsed by the president, who, of course, was influenced by his son-in-law. Jared Kushner's long advocated for this overhaul. And what's interesting is that this, because this is such a victory for the president, you would think that he would be spending the day touting this, um, going, out the, you know, going out this year with a bang, uh, because this is a big deal. It is a big victory, and we don't get a lot of bipartisan victories here on the Hill anymore. Um, but once again, we are seeing this White House sort of you know, step on its own good news uh, by uh, getting involved, I think, again, with this uh, Syria announcement that is raising so many eyebrows um it's sort of uh, stepping on some of the president's good news.
0: Yeah, and and again, this is this is truly bipartisan, an overwhelming vote in the Senate, but not a foregone conclusion. I mean, this was not no. a non-controversial issue just because it was bipartisan. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton practically <laughs> I mean, did anything but lay down in traffic to try to to try to prevent this from happening. And he had an ally in McConnell for a long time, but McConnell ended up giving, giving into the public pressure, giving into the White House pressure, allowing this vote to proceed. And it all happened really quickly. It, it, it was, was a it, surprise how yeah. quickly this
1: happened last night. And I have to say, you know, Tom Cotton, who doesn't normally speak to reporters, we have been shocked that he's been seeking us out <laughs> in the last few days because he feels so passionately about uh, uh, this position. But this was, you know, this happened very quickly overnight. It was not uh, something that if you had said, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, would we be seeing this? I think a lot of people were skeptical that, that, that ultimately the two parties would come to Together. So it is. It is. You know. You can't underscore it. It is a huge victory, and it's. I think surprising that we're not seeing the president touted a little bit more.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break right here. When we're back, we're going to hear from Senator Jeff Merkley, an Oregon Democrat considering a, a run for the presidency. He will be right after our interview, basically heading off to Iowa for an interesting trip. Stick around.
3: Do you spend the night tossing and turning? Are you dealing with a stiff neck and back for months? If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses a new material developed by an actual rocket scientist. The Purple Mattress feels very unique because it's both firm and soft, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. Try your Purple Mattress with a 100-night risk-free trial, and if you're not fully satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Your Purple Mattress is backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping, and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free Purple Pillow with the purchase of a mattress. Just text POWERHOUSE. To 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Powerhouse to 474747. Message and data rates may apply.
0: And we're pleased to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by the Senator from Oregon, the Democratic Senator from Oregon, Jeff Merkley, who is just back from a very interesting trip that he made to some of the migrant camps around the U.S. Mexico border and is about to embark on an interesting trip to Iowa. We'll talk about all of that and more, but first, Senator, welcome.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's good to be with you.
0: So, Senator, I I want to start with the news of the president's announcement today, that he, he plans to remove troops from Syria. As a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, we're seeing a lot of blowback already from some Republicans. Are you comfortable with the idea of removing the U.S. troop presence from Syria? Do you feel like it's a moment where the country can say, yes, the mission of defeating ISIS in Syria has been accomplished?
2: Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, we're way overextended, and uh, the uh, the details. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing all the details, but but the generally, yes.
0: So you're 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 comfortable at this moment in saying if the president is, is saying we're not going to have any presence there? Are you concerned that you could see a backsliding there? And um, it, it, we've seen it before with with troop withdrawals. You have to be careful what you wish for, even in, in when you think you've wiped out any elements.
2: This is why I want to hear the details of the the, uh, the case, and I assume they'll, they'll be providing us with a classified hearing here, here shortly. But uh, I start from the premise uh, that uh, engaging in a long-term presence in Syria poses significant hazards. It's always hard to end an operation once it's begun, and there has to be a moment when you reevaluate and say it's time.
1: Now, the, the president is saying that, that ISIS has been defeated in Syria, but yet you have his own Department of Defense saying just a few days ago that the campaign against ISIS is not over. Are you concerned that the president may be making these moves at conflict with the recommendations of his own government?
2: Again, this is why I'm looking forward to hearing the details.
1: And if we could then switch to another topic, you've recently been down on the border spending a lot of time down there. This is an issue that you feel very passionately about um, what we are seeing down there with uh, families at the border, with children at the border. Tell us a little bit about what you saw on your recent trip and and what you feel needs to be done now.
2: Yes, so I was down uh, uh, to shine a light on the child prison at Tornillo, some 2,700 children held in a, a temporary camp out in the in the desert, and also on uh, two of the family internment camps, uh, Dilly and Carnes. Uh, both these are part of a, a strategy of inflicting trauma on children. It was six it was six months ago that I went down to the border to shine a light on the fact that children were being torn out of their parents' arms. The outcry from the American public and from the courts shut that down. But the president announced that uh, if he couldn't tear children out of their parents' arms, he wanted to lock them all up together. This also is unacceptable. And what we found, and I say we, the the five members of Congress uh, who went there to Tornillo, what we found is that the uh, strategy uh, is now to hold children far more than 20 days, uh, 20 days being the standard set in the Flores Agreement, and uh, I had assumed, I think most of us had assumed that uh, their torneo that they were abiding by Flores. It turns out that over 2,000 of the 2,700 children have been held for more than 20 days, many for many months.
0: So just to follow up on that, you think that this, that this is a Trump administration's strategy of inflicting trauma like this?
2: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, Jeff Sessions, our former attorney general, laid it out. Uh, he said he wanted to uh, send a message through the treatment of uh, those who come to our our borders uh, to uh, discourage people from even considering the possibility, if they're fleeing oppression abroad, of coming to the United States.
0: And you know, with the with the year with the with the the CR that we. Uh, uh, we expect to be approved this week. I'm curious if you think that's the, the government shutdown is is, uh, is off the table right now. The big sticking point was the border wall. There hasn't been a lot of talk, though, about what to do about resources and, and or policy regarding migrant separations. And I think uh, until your trip and until the, uh, the, the tragic death of a seven-year-old in U.S. custody, I think there was a lot of uh, kind of feeling that this whole thing had been solved. What needs to be done now? What can be done legislatively? And, and do you feel like there 's any prospect for uh, for pursuing something maybe early in the new year
2: so after child separation ended, the administration uh, asked for Congress to approve and provide authority to establish an, a massive expansion of family internment camps, walk up families together. And that is actually something that passed the House of Representatives. It had 35 Republican sponsors in the Senate. I went to the floor. I laid out the uh, history of internment camps, the shameful chapter during World War II with Japanese Americans, and said this cannot be where America goes. And I introduced a counter bill called No Internment Camps in America Act. Just the fact that one would have to introduce such legislation should put chills down our, our spine. That ended for all practical purposes, the legislative strategy of the administration. Now they've turned to an executive strategy. They have not only three family internment camps, they also have 15,000 children locked up in child prison camps. This is just something not getting the attention it deserves. This is not in the tradition of, of America. It is not treating people children and parents with respect and dignity as they await asylum hearings. And certainly, America, with our immigration history, should treat people with respect and dignity.
1: And if this funding fight plays out as it seems it's going to, and you sort of punt this fight for another couple weeks, come back again with a deadline in early February... Do you see that fight? You know, if we're going back down this road, and the president's going to be still demanding his wall, is that an opportunity you think to use uh, that fight as leverage to try and get uh, the the president to maybe take some different action here?
2: Well, I'm certainly am going to see if there's a way we can use the use the appropriations bills uh, to block funding uh, for the internment camps. It does not have authorization. Authorization. That's exactly what the administration was asking for, and that's that's what I what I stopped. Uh, However, the the president then started transferring money out of other accounts in order to expand internment camps. Uh, That is something I shined a light on when I uh, uh, let the world know they were taking money out of FEMA, just as the hurricane was bearing down on North Carolina uh, in order to uh, expand these camps. So they're trying to do an internal money transfer. And this is now the new strategy for the wall as well. The president uh, yesterday instructed his cabinet members to uh, search the couch cushions of hmm. their departments to come up with money to build a wall and try to do it without authorization or funds from Congress.
0: Senator, I want to ask about health care. The, the, the Texas judge um, over the weekend through a bit of a, a potential legal monkey wrench in, in all the plans. We know that Republicans have been trying to gut Obamacare as they can. As you look toward the next Congress, do you feel like the time is... is what What's the best use of Democratic strategic energies right now? Is it to work with Republicans on fixes or on on making sure that pre-existing conditions, for instance, are covered? Or is it time to just pursue Medicare for all and say, look, the Democrats, as Democrats, we've got a different idea that, that you would argue is a better idea?
2: Well, I think we should do both. The, there is embedded in Obamacare a patient bill of rights. It isn't referred to as that much, but although I think that's the way we should call it, it's the right for your child up to age 26 to be on your, your policy. It's the right to get the same price for your policy whether you have a pre existing condition. Uh, it's the ability to get uh, preventive treatments uh, for free because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of, of cure. It's the right to be able to use tax credits to be able to purchase policies if you're a low-income American. I think we need to reaccentuate that Bill of Rights, uh, lay it out, and uh, perhaps even repass it into law in that nature or force a vote on it, because I can tell you virtually no Republican wants to vote against those things because they are popular throughout the entire spectrum. And many of the uh, uh, red or Republican regions of the country have benefited more from those rights than anywhere else in America. At the same time, uh, we have a vision for a much more cost-effective and stress-free system in which you have health care in a seamless, simple fashion just by virtue of living in America, uh, Medicare for all. And I, I, I talk about this in all my town halls in both uh, my red counties and my blue counties, and people nod their heads. Our health care system is massively stressful We still have bankruptcy for it. We still have confusion over it. People know in their gut we can do this in a much better way.
1: If we can look ahead to 2020, we know that you're going to be making a trip uh, out to Iowa soon. You have mentioned that uh, you're exploring the possibility of a presidential run. You're keeping your options open for now. When do you make a decision?
2: During the first quarter of this coming year.
1: So is this a a prime topic around the, the family holiday table?
2: Well it ha- it has been a, a topic. I'd- I I Told. I remember my family that uh, they had a, a veto over the project, and uh, they, they have all now given it a thumbs up. But here's what I'm wrestling with. There are three things keeping me up at night. One is the corruption of our We the People Constitution through gerrymandering and dark money and voter suppression. and We, we saw all three in full display November 6th. This is government by and for the powerful rather than the people. And everything else that we might want to do to build an America that's successful for the citizens of the United States we have to take on this corruption at the heart of our uh, of our system the second is uh, tackling the carbon pollution and climate chaos that comes from it there is no time left to waste. The feedback loops are getting stronger. There's now uh, lakes in Alaska that are bubbling with uh, methane almost at a rolling boil as it comes up out of the permafrost. We have all kinds of damage being done through uh, the greater, hotter, more extensive forest fires, more powerful hurricanes, just to mention a couple of the impacts. It's all across the world. Half the coral reefs have died in the last 10 years. We have to act now. And the third is a commitment to families, because under this administration, this leadership in the House and Senate, this Republican leadership, we have seen the national treasury rated for $2 trillion and have it given away to the wealthiest Americans and the largest corporations instead of investing in the foundations for families to thrive, health care and education and living wage jobs and, and housing and uh that's just uh, adding to the inequality of our nation and taking away the opportunity for every family to be successful. So those those three things keep me up at night and I'm trying to determine uh the best way that I can have the most impact on that? Is it being part of the 2020 primary conversation, or is it doubling down on the legislative strategies uh, in my U.S. Senate role? So stay tuned.
0: And Senator, if I'm not mistaken, you were the only United States Senator not named Bernie Sanders to support Bernie Sanders' presidential (laughs) bid uh, back in the primaries in 2016. Do you want him to run again, and if he does, do you defer to Bernie?
2: uh no i'm not necessarily deferring to uh to to anyone uh and uh i think bernie has to make up his mind whether to run i very much uh, believe he has done a a terrific service to America by helping to move the conversation on inequality, on climate. He signed on to both my keep it in the ground vision and my 100 uh, percent mission of going to 100 percent renewable energy. He understands climate. He understands the impact on families, and he understands the corruption. And I, I do think we're going to have a, a robust debate in, in the 2020 primary, but I hope any democrat that comes out on top is very strong on those three things
0: when do you want the first debate to be
2: oh well uh, anytime soon would will be just fine
0: <laughs> all right fair enough senator jeff Merkley, democrat from oregon appreciate uh you spending some time with us here on powerhouse politics and uh good luck with your trip to iowa and uh and i hope you have a happy holidays with the family
2: thank you very much take care now
0: all right thanks senator well, Mary, I, I do think Senator Merkley will be an interesting 2020 choice. It is a name you're hearing from progressive activists. He's pretty well known in that community. He isn't that well known nationally. We talked a little bit about the Medicare for all issue. It's an issue he's been out front on. He did more than maybe any other senator in bringing attention to that child separation issue. He was part of those one of the first rounds of trips down there in, in, in getting people to pay attention. And I, the progressive side of the field is going to be wide open.
1: Yeah. And it will be interesting to see how he makes that decision. Look, not only is there going to be a ton of legislation happening here in the beginning of next year, a lot of investigations, but you have so many members of Congress who have now said they're weighing over this holiday whether or not to run, uh, which means that we're going to see a flood of announcements uh, one way or another, likely in the next coming weeks as well. So something else for us all appear to be keeping a close eye on and chasing. And they're just the Democratic field is so huge. It's massive and and so wide ranging. And there's so many different people uh, who are interested in raising their hand? Uh, the question is: Can one of them appeal to what is now such a diverse uh, party?
0: Yeah, it is. It's going to be. It's going to be a big question over the holidays. You mentioned the family decisions that have to be made, but uh, the, the I think the turn to 2020 is is going to be happening pretty quickly. Um the, the first part of the year next year is going to be consumed by a lot of legislative action, a lot of Democrats who are going to be figuring out what it's like to have the gavel again. But the, the intensity out there that we saw in the midterms is real and is going to turn uh, toward, toward who the presidential candidate should, should be very, very quickly.
1: This is why you have to rest up over the holiday, Rick. No, because none of because that. it's on. None it's, of that. It's off and running. Uh,
0: well, in that spirit, Mary, we hope that everyone has a happy holiday season. We are going to be resting up next week. There will not be a new podcast next week unless emergency circumstances warrant it. Uh, we'll be back after the New Year, we're assur- assured that uh, that John Carl will be back in the mix as well from his you know semi holiday retirement that he, <laughs> that he likes to take. Um, uh, in all seriousness, no, he's he's actually hosting the Sunday show this weekend. We hope you'll tune in for that. Um, thank you, Mary, for for joining us uh, here closing out the year thanks to everyone for spending this uh fantastic 2018 with us thanks to our team angie yak avery miller our mix master back in the studio trevor hastings we hope you have a happy holiday season and a happy new year and we'll talk to you soon